Hello, you bandy-legged chandeliers. I'm after dropping something there. Hello, you bandy-legged chandeliers. Um, welcome back to podcast number four, which I'm uh, very happy to announce is still at the top position in the iTunes charts. We're still at number one, cause of ye pricks, for continuing to subscribe and to give it reviews and to recommend it to your friends. Please continue subscribing and leaving pleasurable reviews. Don't leave shit reviews. That's the sound of my Android cigarette. Because <sighs> it's uh, 2017. Actually, my electric cigarette at the moment is... is I'm charging it into my laptop, you know, so it's... It looks like I'm smoking the internet. So if someone walked in, they'd think I'm sitting down like... So if someone... Alright, if someone from, like, 2012... No, 2011. Got into a time machine to 2017 now and saw me smoking my electric fag hooked up to my computer. They would just go, fuck's sake, you can smoke the internet now. That's what's happened. Smoking the internet. No elect- uh, flying cars, nothing like that. There's lads going around the place smoking the internet. Which is the one, one of the criticisms I have about Blade Runner. You know, the film Blade Runner, which the events of which take place in 2019. They're smoking these cigars. They don't have electric fags. You'd think they'd sort that one out, wouldn't you? Fuck's sake. Um, yeah, so here we are, podcast number four. Um, um, last week's podcast, which fell on Wednesday, November 8th, the year of our Lord, 2017, I had uh, some jazz piano playing gently in the background. And I asked ye um, if it was pure annoying, I was going to get rid of it. But I asked ye, tell me what you think of the jazz piano, because I wanted to include it to create a lovely warm feeling, a lovely warm, gentle, ambient feeling. And most of ye said, please keep the jazz piano, I really enjoyed it. So I'm glad of that. So this week, what I've done is, instead of playing... That little phrase in on, on a jazz piano. I whipped out my guitar. And now, it's jazz guitar. Yeah, there you go, baby. Um, Just to fill the space, do you know? And the other thing, too, is... I've got a very noisy computer tower that makes an, a, 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 humming, a humming noise that most people won't notice, but I fucking will. And the jazz guitar... Or the jazz piano, it kind of um, I don't know. It, it it masks it a bit, so that makes it easier for me. I don't know. Next week I'll be playing something, something different. I might play my ocarina. I don't know where it is now. I got an ocarina over in Spain. It's a uh, a little clay instrument. It's good crack actually. You hold it around your um. You wear it like a lanyard on your neck and it's made out of clay and it does little whistling noises. It's very good fun. Thank you for subscribing. And thank you for leaving reviews. That is the lifeblood of a good podcast. That's what keeps the podcast, uh, the momentum going and shit like that. Um, Let's start... This week's podcast with a hot take. A boiling hot 
take, right? Um, we'll talk about one of Donald Trump's tweets in a jocular fashion. Now, the, the thing is with Donald Trump's tweets, because like, we've had him around for a year now, you know, so we've never seen anything like him, you know? We've never had somebody behave in such... You know, the, the most powerful person in the world. We've never had the most powerful person in the world behave in such an explicitly unprofessional fashion. That's not to say that all American presidents are fucking saints, because they're not. It's just Trump wears it on his... wears it as a t-shirt. He lets us all see it. But, you know, Obama was sound. Still dropping drones on Pakistani children. Trump freaks us out because we we it's it's we unconsciously understand that you know America is essentially a, a rather large colonial empire and colonialism doesn't exist without evil. But if the leader appears to be somewhat balanced and sound, I don't know, it makes us feel calmer, but not with Trump. Usually when he tweets something, usually to Kim Jong Un or about Russia, it's quite terrifying more terrifying than a a Jack Russell Terrier with human hands that'd be fucking freaky but yesterday or today sorry he tweeted why would Kim Jong Un insult me by calling me old when I would never call him short and fat oh well I try so hard to be his friend and maybe someday that will happen I mean, that is exceptionally irrational uh, statement by a world leader. That is, um, that's your mad aunt after one and a half bottles of West Coast Cooler on Facebook. He's a couple of characters away from sharing a passive-aggressive Minions meme. That's where the man is at right now. And the thing is as well, Donny... Statistically, you're the oldest person, well, man, because to be elected U.S. president. So it's not factually incorrect to call you old, you silly boy. And also, I did not mean to gender Donnie's tweet there by comparing it to your mad aunt on Facebook after her West Coast cooler. Um, he's also behaving like your mad uncle. Who gets kicked out of Tesco for thrusting cock first into a punnet full of bruised plums. That's what that tweet is like. And the most absurd facet of Donald Trump's tweets, I think, is that his tweet is now US foreign policy. He's the president. It's his words. He's talking to a world leader. It is now US foreign policy. And that's nuts. But apples and oranges, lads. I mean, okay, fair enough, that is um, objectively unprofessional and insane behaviour. But the US have been known to drop a bomb on a wedding of 250 people, innocent people, if they think there's one terrorist there. That's what they do. What else did they do? In the 1980s... They deliberately flooded California. The CIA flooded California with cocaine to fund Nicaraguan rebels. 
called the Iran-Contra affair. And the journalist who exposed that, Gary Webb, died in very mysterious circumstances in 2004. He uh, committed suicide by gunshot, so the official report says, but a lot of people think he might have been killed. Dunno. And some people were saying, I'm enjoying the podcast, blind boy, but I don't agree with a lot of your politics, so please don't talk politics. This is not politics. This is not fucking politics. It is... A pantomime. It's reality television. It's not politics to speak about that fucking tweet. What a fucking nutjob. Here's the thing. This is how we get to the hot take. The boiling hot take that I have. It's a conspiracy theory, if you will. If you look at the, the world economy, right? If you look at you know where the most amount of money is being made right now in 2017... Aside from the obvious uh, oil and the petrochemical industry, which is, you know, that drives a lot of the world economy, specifically with America, because America, I think, they've got a thing called petrodollars. So if you sell or buy oil in the world, you must pay for it in American dollars. And this activity strengthens the US dollar so this is one of the reasons why America is so heavily invested in the oil industry it's not just to you know have supremacy over that it's their economy their money relies upon fucking petrodollars which I think was it was introduced by Reagan if not Reagan it was Nixon one of those boys I'm not sure I have not checked this on Wikipedia this is from the top of my head. I heard that in a hairdresser's in 2013 when I was getting my hair cut in Dublin and the hairdresser was talking conspiracy theories. Here's my, my conspiracy theory. If you trace the amount of money that's been made in the world today, that you know, next to the you know the petrol industry and the fucking the arms industry, of course, it's big data. It's it's Facebook, Google these are the cunts who are making the most money and how did they make this money they make the money by farming our data you know I mean to Google and Facebook you and I are nothing but data everything we do this podcast that you're listening to the things you click on you know your browsing activity this is all data that is sold usually to advertisers and this generates income Therefore, in a conspiratorial fashion, what if the world leaders, such as fucking Donald Trump, Kim Jong-un, Vladimir Putin, all these incredibly strong characters, are not actually politicians, but rather carefully orchestrated baddies, like in a pantomime or in wrestling what if they're all powerless baddies that are there to make us feel nothing but outrage and we express our outrage through clicks and shares and tweets and data the more Trump is a giant Mickey 
the more we get angry and the more we tweet, the more we share, creates content. And this creates money for Google and Facebook. So that's today's hot take to begin the podcast. What do you think of that? That um, Donald Trump tweeting and warbling like a bereaved heron with a disturbed nest. A mother heron who's returned to its nest to see that all its eggs have been crushed. Warbling and screaming towards the moon. That that's what Donald Trump is. And this is a, a carefully orchestrated piece of reality television or wrestling. And that script is written by Mark Zuckerberg and Elon Musk. Don't mind me, I'm talking out of my fucking hoop. Alright, next, uh, what are we going to talk about now? What did I get up to? What did I get up to during the week? Fuck all. Well, I fell afoul of some Conor McGregor fanboys on Twitter. Um, because... I called out his behaviour, his recent behaviour. Um, now here's the thing with me and Conor McGregor. Now I know nothing about sports. That's the first thing I'm going to say. I don't have the gift of understanding sports. But I'd stick an eye in every so often. I've always defended McGregor. Because I was of the belief that... There's no way he could be that much of an asshole. I believed that... He's playing a character. Like in wrestling. That McGregor has brought the the baddie character from wrestling to MMA. And that's what he was playing. Uh, in order to service his brand and to make him to, to make headlines. So that's fair enough. And I always I kind of admired that. I thought it was cool. I liked the theatre that he brought to the sport. And as well, do you know he's an incredibly dedicated person. The best in the world. At MMA, from what I can see. To achieve that degree of excellence, a person tends to be balanced and focused and is able to set goals for themselves and behave in a professional fashion. And if someone was that much of a prick, they would never have made it that far because they'd be... they'd have glassed someone outside Supermax in Ennis. So I always forgave him. I always said, no, it's a character he's playing. He's probably really sound in real life and... He's dedicated and professional and he behaves himself. But uh, recent events have changed my opinion. So I tweeted, McGregor is a fucking fool. First the homophobia, then this. Referring to, of course, an incident at the weekend where Conor McGregor was at an MMA match and his friend had won and he hopped into the ring. He was a spectator. He hopped into the ring to congratulate his friend a referee got involved because McGregor's not a fighter and he's in the ring he's a, he's, a, he's a spectator and McGregor took umbrage to the referee accosting him and got quite physically aggressive to a fucking referee which to me suggested that his ego has gone absolutely nuts he reminds me of Tupac Tupac that the year before he died you know started to believe his own bullshit and started behaving like a gangster even though he wasn't because his mother didn't raise him that way Tupac went to drama school but McGregor's acting like a cock so I called it out 
and oh boy did I upset some fans. Now here's the thing. I believe that it is possible to admire a person's success. McGregor is a legendary fighter and an unbelievable entertainer. His success is unparalleled. He's putting Ireland on the map. But at the same time, I can believe that while also holding the conflicting belief that he is behaving like a langer. He is. I can hold those two beliefs, conflicting beliefs, at the same time about the same person. The McGregor fanboys were not having this at all. I got some comments such as, Why call him a homophobe? I don't understand how that isn't hypocritical. He grew up in a violent area during the crumbling Drimna feud and that's been distilled in his personality. Right, first of all, that's bullshit because I know lads from Limerick who grew up in that situation and they're not all homophobes. Some of them are disgusted by homophobia. Another person said, Stop kissing the ass of the mainstream. Surely you, more than anyone, know about colloquialism in Ireland and how most people have used that word in a completely generic way. His buddy had just lost a war. Referring, of course, to the word faggot. McGregor... McGregor used that word to refer to someone being gay. Now, I've had that word used against me all my life. Nothing to do with gayness, to police my masculinity. Yes, that word is used in many contexts usually to call someone a sissy or to say that someone's weak all negative things to specifically to use it to refer to gay people that is exceptional that's not something that in my life I hear an awful lot of most people know that that's that's a line you don't cross it's a, that's a, it's used in a very it's intent and context is very hateful in that fashion and that's what I heard McGregor doing he used that word to give condolences to his friend who had lost a match to basically say I know you lost a match but the guy you lost it to I heard a rumour about him I heard a rumour he's gay and he used that word to refer to his gayness to connote that he is weak and lesser and fuck that that's homophobia he said it with no cameras around so that means that to me that behaviour suggests that when Conor McGregor thinks of someone who was gay he thinks that they are a lesser person. That's homophobia to me, so I'm calling it out. Fuck off, Connor. You're class at fighting, but I'm not into that. And here's something too that I'd like to bring to the attention of the lads who were defending him. I say lads as well, because to be honest, it was all men. Um, the fanboys. I criticised an aspect of his behaviour, yet they were not able to separate that criticism of his behaviour from him as a person. They viewed it as me making a, a global assessment of the entirety of Conor McGregor, right? If if you can't separate those those two things when looking at how someone else is criticised, chances are yourself, wh- when you fuck up or when you do something that you would view as bad or other people view as bad, you are unable to separate that behavior from your own value as a person and that is going to have quite a negative effect on your self-esteem and your mental health what McGregor did with the homophobic remark and with slapping that ref 
and with the casual racism, those are examples of terrible behaviour which deserve to be called out and deserve to be reprimanded in some description. But that doesn't necessarily mean that Conor McGregor is 100% now a bad person. It doesn't mean that he is a bad sport, a bad boxer. He's still a class boxer. And you know what? He probably really loves his child. He probably went home that night after making the homophobic remark and, you know, gave his child a hug and gave him a kiss. He probably has love in his heart at some points of the day and is a good person in other respects. But his behaviour is often despicable. Your behaviour does not define who you are as a human being. It does not define your intrinsic value. And that is not... That doesn't excuse behaviour. It just means that... You know, we all have intrinsic value. You do. Conor McGregor does. And it's okay for behaviour to be criticised. Now, I know there's some people listening now... um, Because I'd have quite a liberal audience... Who might actually disagree with me there and go, No, fuck that. You know, fuck that. But why do I believe this? I'll tell you why. It's important to separate a person's behaviour from their value so that you can allow space for that person to grow and change. When when you start um, globally condemning a person 100% as good or bad, that's a form of dehumanisation. And it, it is important for a progressive and compassionate society to recognise every human being's intrinsic value despite their behaviour. Their behaviour can still be punished, but we must recognise the possibility for growth and change. And why? To prevent future victims, generally. If Conor McGregor is allowed to assess his behaviour, you know, with time and with some humility, you know, he might see what the rest of us see and will never say something homophobic again. He may possibly grow to be a person who is so ashamed of his behaviour and some of the things he does and recognises its impact negatively on other people that he might become an advocate against it. We can still chastise him and call him a prick and call out his behaviour and allow him that space for change which I believe all humans have the capacity to do bar a few diagnosed psychopaths I don't think McGregor falls into that category just a bit of a bit of a, a bit of a silly boy but look that's my opinion the reason I kind of have that opinion too is it makes me a more compassionate and a more happier person if I go around the place globally labelling people as good or bad uh, it, it, it's not great for my own self-esteem it's not good for my mental health to be honest it means that I'm I'm carrying around a, a toxic anger inside myself that kind of goes around in this shitty circle you know so by kind of directing that anger in a healthy fashion towards somebody's behaviour but not towards them as a person. It just allows me to have more compassion and to be happier. 
like kind of in a Buddhist way almost do you know what I mean but look that's my opinion that's how I like to live my life you can disagree with me if you like we'll still be friends another thing that I notice and it's a strange intersection in the particular type of lad who defends Conor McGregor's behaviour and of course I'm not speaking about every Conor McGregor fan or any every MMA fan I'm speaking about a certain type of lad who tends to defend Conor McGregor's behaviour they um, they're very macho they're quite masculine they aspire to be macho and masculine they're lads in quotation marks I hate to use the metaphor of the alpha male and the beta male because I don't believe in that not in today's society but I also believe that effective communication happens in the language of the receiver so I'm going to speak that way for a little bit now the most beta male thing that you can do is to not stand up to the alpha who's behaving like a fucking cock to not stand up to to, to follow the leader of the pack who's bullying people or who's saying shitty things or who's being abusive to women and to follow them and to giggle and laugh and to defend them that makes you a beta male so if you want to be an alpha call it out but of course I that's all bullshit alpha male beta male it's fucking bullshit I'm merely using that metaphor in the hopes that the type of person who believes in that stuff can um, kind of see what I'm getting at you know call that shit out it's not acceptable and it doesn't make McGregor any lesser of a fighter he's still class at fighting alright yort What'll we do with him at all? Hey Siri, what's up with Conor McGregor these days? I found something on the web about what's up with Conor McGregor these days. Check it out. No thanks. Can you take me to... Where, where, where are the Pine Martins in my vicinity? Which wit? Tap the one you want. No, I'm looking for Pine Martins. I want, to, I want to be serenaded by a choir of Pine Martins. Are there Pine Martins in my vicinity? Searching for cloud of Pine Martins. No, I'm looking for Pine Martins. I want it. I want to be serenaded on the iTunes store. It, can you get me a stoat? At least. Yes, Siri, can you get me a stoat? I would like a stoat. I thought so. Siri, are there any Pine Martins in my vicinity? Okay, check it out. This is fucking pointless. This is this is the future that we live in. This is 2017. I'm here aching for human connection. And uh, asking a robot... To connect me with a pine martin or a weasel or an otter. And what's worse is is there was a, a genuine part of me that was terrified that uh, she'd actually order a box full of pine martins to my house. Siri, why are we all so very lonely? Good question. Anything else I can do for you? She doesn't give a fuck. She doesn't give a shit. That's not the barren clinking of a wine glass, by the way. It's a cup of tea. 
lovely warm hot tea. Siri's a bit of a gas cunt, isn't she? Can't say her name now or she'll pipe up. Hey Siri! No, she's not listening. She's after making me highly impatient of recent. About three years ago, I started using Siri. And I used to have to... I used to have to speak in an American accent because she didn't understand my Limerick accent. But now she's learnt it completely. You know, completely learnt my accent. Because... You know, to listen, to listen to me, in case I say Reebok or Nike, and then I go onto Facebook, and I'm having Reebok and Nike appearing in my newsfeed, that's how it works. Siri's collecting your data too. That's the trade-off. These apps and these phones, they, uh make our lives a little bit easier and the contract is we give them all our data yeah she's after making me a little bit impatient like you know if I if I lose my phone I, ju- I just roar hey Siri I don't want her to hear me I just roar that and she pipes up and goes I'm here so I don't lose my phone anymore I just scream her name and my phone says I'm here and the other day I lost my belt and I had somewhere to go and I had no belt in my pants and I, I, st- I roared, hey belt, and felt like a dickhead. But then I got really angry. I got really angry and impatient that I couldn't scream for my belt. And it's Siri's fault. I would hate to speak to a human being the way I speak to, to Siri. You know, I just bark demands at her all day. So what I've started doing, and you're going to think I'm nuts, you're going to think I'm making it up, but I'm not. I've started saying please and thank you to Siri. And that little gesture alone takes away some of that um, that weird, weird, frustrated anger that I have when using her. Just please and thank you. And sometimes she appreciates it. So that's what I've started doing for my own kind of emotional wellness. Because I found this crazy negativity coming up. Impatient. I'm mad to take a Baraka vitamin. I don't know where the Baraka are. I want to scream out, hey Baraka. Hopefully that'll be the case someday. My shoes, I'll be able to shout for my shoes, shout for my belt, shout for my pants. They'll all listen to me, sell me more pants, sell me more shoes. And uh, the circle continues. Okay, we'll give it one more lash. Hey Siri, what is a pine martin? Also known as Pinotin, yes. Martin, or Sweet Martin, yes. is an animal native to Northern Europe, belonging to, to the Vespellid family, which also includes mink, otter, badger. Now we're now we're talking, Siri. Look at this now. As soon as I fucking say it in an American accent, she listens. She can respond then. What is that? Only Yank privilege, right there. That is Yankee privilege. She will not listen to the fizzy princely lilt. Of my Hiberno English tongue. But if you're a Yank, yeah, no shortage of Pine Martins there. The Yanks are spoiled for Pine Martins and Otters, drowning in them over there in Oregon and fucking Albuquerque, non stop Pine Martins up the walls. Yankee privilege, boys. Actually, they probably don't even have Pine Martins in America, they've got Wolverines or something. Hey Siri, have they got Pine Martins in America? 
Here's what I found on the web for have they got piney mountains in America. Oh, fuck off. That pine mountain tangent was so long that I'll probably now have to speak about the cunts. I don't know, have you ever seen a pine mountain? Do you know what I'm talking about? They're these gorgeous little, um... They're like weasels or stoats, but they have lovely little faces and these pointy ears. You'll see them around Limerick, very rarely. I've only seen about one or two in the wild. They're related to pole cats, I think. Pole cats are another small stoat-like creature of which there's a population in Charleville. Pine martens are class. They're my favourite Irish animal, hands down, because they're beautiful. They're so cute. And they're horribly endangered because their fur is so delicious. Um, delicious for wearing, not for eating. They've been, yeah, they've been trapped and killed off. There's only a few left. And there's some prick of a councillor up, up around Monaghan or somewhere and he wants to kill Pine Martins. He wants to legalise their killing because he's, he's a gaul. But Pine Martins are class and we should encourage them because they kill red squirrels. And red squirrels are an invasive species that are wiping out the native grey squirrel. So Pine Martins are actually the solution. So if you see a Pine Martin, give him a high five. I love Pine Martins so much that if you are subscribed to our Spotify, if you look up Rubber Bandits on Spotify, I've got some musical playlists. And I've got one playlist called Objectively Class Tunes, which is uh, tunes that are class in an objective fashion. And the Pine Martin is the avatar for that playlist. So I'm not just talking out of my arse, I'm a dedicated Pine Martin enthusiast. So fuck you, Siri. Um, I am trying to earn a living from doing this podcast, so there's going to be some advertising inserts at certain points. So I'm going to make a little space now for an advert. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. You may or may not have heard that, depending on what you use. Someone asked me on Twitter during the week, would I be interested in doing, making two podcasts a week? I'd love to do that, but I just don't have the time. I'd absolutely love to do two podcasts a week. I tell you what, if if 
if I could do one podcast that was just about music, as in the history of music or, you know, how, how the history of music production, music technology, different music from different cultures, um, I would do that, right? However, it is quite difficult to do a podcast like that if you can't include audio examples of the music and you just can't do that really on like iTunes because you're using other people's um, music with no license. So for that reason, no, I'm going to stick with one podcast per week if I can. What I might start doing is recommending one album a week that if you want if you want to hear a new album if you're like I'd love to and, and I don't mean songs now I'm going to go straight album so for you if you're like I want to hear a new album get stuck into it I'm going to suggest a new one every week the first album I'm going to recommend to you is Blue Valentines by Tom Waits quite apt actually because the the jazz guitar that, that I'm playing in the background there is, is quite inspired by Blue, ba- Blue Valentine but it's a fantastic album. It's from 1977, I think. And it's Tom Waits. It's, it's late Tom Waits in terms of his jazz period. Just before he went kind of nuts in 1980 and started the more experimental stuff. I think everybody can enjoy the album Blue Valentine's by Tom Waits doesn't matter what you're into it's just one of those perfect albums give it a lash okay so usually what I do is I go on to Twitter at Rubber Bandits and I ask ye to ask me what ye would like me to discuss on the podcast and I'm gonna do that right now Erica asks what's the most interesting story from history that you know I'll tell you a story. It might not be 100% factually incorrect, but it sure as fuck is interesting. In medieval times, around the during the Crusades in the Middle East, there was these Islamic lads called the Hashashin. And it is where we get the word assassin from. If you've played the Assassin's Creed video game, it's those lads, Assassin's Creed 1. Anyway, the Hashashin were called Hashashin because they smoked loads and loads of hash all the time. They were kind of fearless assassins. But what their leader used to do, a fella called Hassan something, he used to get the young recruits and he would bring them into a garden in his fortress that contained loads of food and beautiful trees and fountains and tons and tons of women for them to have sex with and loads of hash non-stop hash all the time then he'd get the recruits take them away from the garden fuck them into prison take the women away and take the hash away they'd go into withdrawal and then he'd tell them that place that you were with the women and the hash and the food that was actually heaven and if you you know go and kill and sacrifice yourself you will return to that garden once again if you die you will return to that garden so the assassins went out and were absolutely fearless they would give their own lives for whatever 
for the cause just to return to this garden of women and hash and beauty. It is this this situation is what has led now to the mad bastards in ISIS who blow themselves up, the suicide bombers who blow themselves up for the 40 virgins. It comes from this lunatic who was lobbing lads into his class back garden. That's pretty interesting. Not sure how factual it is, because I'm not a historian. I'm a man who reads Wikipedia. Brian Lyde, who is the... He's the film review man for entertainment.ie, asks... Talk about Black Rain and Blade Runner. Do you know what, Brian? Those two Ridley Scott films are so... I feel so passionately about those two films that I might leave it for another podcast. Black Rain and Blade Runner. Like, that, the book that I wrote, Gospel According to the Blind Boy, when I was writing that book, in my head, visually, about 80% of those stories are Black Rain and Blade Runner. That's how I see them, with that type of lighting and that type of ambience and soundtrack. So I might leave that for another podcast, because... I, I devour those films. I watch Blade Runner once a month, at least. Blade Runner's my period, basically. That's a bit of male privilege for you there. Gaz wants me to talk about language. I'm a Scot in England and have no idea what yort or gas contest are. The old shitbag dictionary might be worth a few minutes musings. Cheers. Well... Yort Yort is a Limerick exclamation mark It's a word that's specific to Limerick It's about 15 years old Very specific to the north side of Limerick I You know I've been using it for many years You know you say Yort whenever You know I can say Yort as a question mark You go into the shop Yort Do you understand Yort Um. That was a class film. Yort. Yort is a beautiful word. It it can be whatever you want. It's an exclamation mark and it's it's unique to Limerick. And Cork can fuck off if they think they're having Yort. Not a chance, lads. You've enough language. Gas contest. A gas cunt. That's an Irish thing. But for me in Limerick, a gas cunt, it's um it's a specific type of funny person. You know, if if it's almost like if a person's humour appears to be quite dark or something, or if a person's humour appears to be quite stupid, you'd go, yeah, yeah, he's a bit of a gas cunt though. Gas cunt suggests um, that there's a depth. Someone who's a gas cunt, they've got a depth behind whatever it is they're they're speaking about, which is why over the past few years we labelled what we do, the rubber bandits do, as gas cuntism, which is our artistic movement, gas cuntism, which borrows a lot from the, the Dada movement of the early 20th century, which is basically when society becomes so full of pain and hopelessness that you must strip it away to its basic absurdity. And the only appropriate response that art can have is to not reflect it accurately, but to respond with an equal amount of irrationality and absurdism. 
but a certain comforting humour within that absurdity and absurdism. Uh, Data came about when World War One. You know, when World War One happened, you have to remember that there was no a war had never been waged using industrial technology before. The idea that a machine gun, one gun, could mow down hundreds of men in 20 minutes. That had never ever been seen by human society, ever. Before that, wars were fought with cavalries and guns and the odd cannon. It was brutal, but it wasn't one dude with a machine gun killing a hundred men. And the Dada art movement found this so hair-pullingly absurd that the artist Marcel Duchamp got a urinal, a urinal, a toilet, and he put it into a gallery and said, this is art now. And he did that in, in 1916, I believe he did that. Yeah, he did two months after the Irish 1916 rising. And I have a theory, not a theory, I've got a, something I say to the lads with a few giants in me, that the Irish 1916 Rising, which was a group of, you know, led by poets, painters and teachers, that they took on the might of the British Empire in this fabulous example of theatre, this theatrical display of violence and zeal, that they knew they would never win. The 1916 Rising was at its core extremely absurd because they knew it would fail. And the fact that the Dada Manifesto was released in France a month later, I'd like to contextualize 1916 as a a piece of extreme Dada theater. And that might sound nuts, and it is a bit nuts, but, Dada came from futurism and the futurists they were very much about war and sacrifice as art you know um, I don't know if any of the leaders in 1916 had an eye towards Dada or the futurists maybe they did they were smart boys and women sorry the women were written out of history of course in Ireland because they couldn't get their pensions but uh, there's a hot take for you I'm good at the old hot takes today Look, gas cuntism is just a... Uh, it's a name I put on what the rubber bandits do because I studied a master's in art and that makes you a little bit pretentious that way. One thing I, I said there actually that I'm going to... I'd like to clarify on more because I spoke there about the, the women being written out of... The, the role of women being written out in 1916. The other thing that was written out in 1916 and if you know our work you'll know we made a documentary on 1916 in 2016 Um, you might find it online but one of the things I didn't get to get across in that documentary and it's something that kind of struck me is I mentioned there that 1916 was led by poets and painters and teachers okay but the fact is that th- th- those leaders were a very, they were a very small that was a small group the people who fought 1916 were incredibly poor people from the slums of Dublin and around the country but mainly from the slums of Dublin 
people who because there was a thing called the 1913 lockouts a few years previously where the workers in I think in, in certain industries they tried to strike and then the police came in and didn't let them strike and then they were banned from working after that so they were unemployed and living in slums and these are the people who died and took up the guns in 1916 but if you look at the way that history is told to us post-1916 if you analyse you know what is a painter or a poet or a teacher only an incredibly middle class profession so we've been sold this narrative of what that basically says is revolution and having a gun in your hand and violent revolution against power is only acceptable if you are a member of the responsible middle class a gun is a good thing in the hands of a responsible teacher a responsible painter a responsible lawyer but what it also says is that a gun is not a good thing to have in the hands of somebody who was poor and works in a factory and that right there is a classist narrative that I think we've been sold the working class people of Dublin were written out of our history in that respect it's like no 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 put the gun into the hand of the painter not the lad who works in, in the in the bread factory not him and what does that tell you about uh, power in Ireland I promised I wouldn't get political now but is that political or historical I don't know it's just something for you to think about and tell me I'm wrong on Twitter then if you want it's the whole part of it it's the whole joy of this and for any of my British listeners you won't have a fucking clue what I was just talking about there because all of this was written out of your history and I don't want to give you the guilt trip but I'm trying to give you a lovely gentle warm podcast hug but you were not taught about the 800 years of colonisation and brutality that the Irish people faced at the hands of the British crown and it's okay you didn't do it you didn't do it you're grand the other thing I, I like to say too is I like to view the Irish struggle as not something against the people of Britain but against the the forces the forces of power that also kept the ordinary English person under the boot as well there I go I've gone political again I've gone Marxist fucking hell I'm going to get nice and Marxist now in a minute when I try and sell you my book Yort Ross asks talk about your audiophilia even your atmospheric beds on the podcast are cool thank you very much Ross Um, yeah I said on episode 1 that I'm an audiophile so I just love sound do you know I love sound in every description and the other thing I'm I'm, I'm a multi-instrumentalist you know I can play fucking guitar piano bass a bit of drums and I'm a producer as well so I adore sound and music. It it flows through my very being. Um, I don't believe in spirituality or an afterlife, but if I did, I do think I'd die and become a piece of music, a musical note. That that's be- because it resonates with me so much that Jesus lads, the way a piece of music can make me feel. Fuck me, do you know? Especially when I can achieve musical flow which is quite fucking rare can achieve flow in writing but musical flow that's just like having my soul wanked 
Um, the atmospheric beds that I put into the readings, I have them there very specifically to to get you to immerse yourself fully in the story. The I love how certain sounds, how the brain responds to certain sounds, how sounds can relax the brain and draw you in. So I select certain ambient sounds that will enhance the experience of the story for you and give you a better a more intense mood and um, we mentioned Blade Runner earlier on and the upcoming the short story that I'm going to read for you in a little bit today I created most of that using a Yamaha CS80 synthesizer which was the synthesizer that was used to create the soundtrack to Blade Runner which is my favourite movie soundtrack ever hands down and the sounds that you hear underneath the stories um, they mainly come from synthesizers and effects units you know I'd program the synthesizers to get exactly the atmospheric sound that I want but then other sounds are from audio recordings that I make that I then manipulate using effects I always carry a, a zoom stereo recorder around with me everywhere and I'll record anything like I could be in a shop and if I hear the sound of a fridge and I like the sound of that fridge I'll go over beside it and record a minute of it to bring it back into the studio and fuck with it last week the scapism story I slightly regret adding a drum beat to it some people found it a little bit distracting to the story so it, it, you know what when you start adding a drum beat into something atmospheric it stops being atmospheric and it becomes more of a song do you know so the short story I'm going to be reading to you today has got no drum beat it's pure atmosphere right well you, you must have sent me about 80 questions I'm going to get back and answer more of them next week because there's so many that you sent me and there's some really good questions in there too that I can't wait to talk about but we don't have time this week my book, The Gospel According to Blind Boy, has been nominated for an award. It's nominated for Best Newcomer at the Irish Book Awards. And I would invite you, if you enjoy the short stories that I've been reading over the past few weeks, please go uh, into Google, look for the Irish Book Awards, and vote for The Gospel According to Blind Boy in the Best Newcomer category. Please, if you don't mind, if it's not too much trouble, I'd appreciate that. I wouldn't mind an award. Be good crack. Let's move on now, at the end of the podcast, to a short story. Okay? I'm going to read you a short story. This story is called Shovel Duds and it's very pleasant. I'll be honest I'm telling you this now from the interrogation room I'm in a fair amount of hassle be careful who you confide in online because they will rat you out this is the crack I can't stop looking at the videos I watch them on the bus on the way to work underneath my jacket so no one else sees 
I watch him on my little cousin's Aces tablet when I'm over on Aunt Maeve's for Sunday dinner. I tell the family I'm going to for a big long shit and then I take Jack's tablet and watch them in the bathroom on earphones. I never logged out the last time and Jack couldn't sleep right for months after. Aunt Maeve knew it was me but never said nothing. I watched them on live leak. Sometimes you'll get the really new ones on Twitter before the accounts get deleted. It looks so fake when you watch it. It looks like Terminator or Alien. But the thing is, I know it's real. I'm looking at a photograph right now. I saved it. Because they get deleted pure quick. Yellow desert sand. The same colour as the shit part of a sponge cake. And this lad in a blue shirt lying on his back. Wearing this normal blue shirt like my dad would wear. Like the ones the boys from Skolida wear under their jumpers. He's got one hand on his stomach. The hand kind of twisted into this claw shape and looking stiff. His foot is resting on another lad's head. The other lad is dead too. Around his body is this dark black pattern that fades into red. The spill of blood. When I see them on my screen, they don't look like poles of gore. They look like the outlines of countries that haven't been discovered yet. That's what they're the bulb of. This lad here on my phone lying in the sand in his blue shirt. Not sure if he's in Syria. Could be a Coptic Christian from Egypt too. He has that big forehead. But he's surrounded by an irregular blood pattern. Darkening as it soaks deeper. It's so red you could paint the door with it. And not a soul would notice. You know the videos are real when the lad's head peels. In the cinema... When someone is shot, they crack their head like an egg. If you watch it, the bullet goes in the front, makes a little hole, and then the back cracks open and squirts the blood on a wall behind them, like water pistols. But in real life, on the internet, when a person is shot, their head peels open, like the skin of an orange opening up, or a fist turning to a pan. When lads get shot in the face on the internet with a big gun like an AK... Their face opens up into this rose blossoming and fast forward. These lads are fucking deadly. They truly don't give a fuck. I watch all their videos. Most days in work it's quiet. I burn off the hairs with a torch. But after ten runs, I'm ready for cutting throats. Hair burning is no crack. Their hair is fat and bristly like strands of bale twine melts down to the skin like the fuse on a firework then lots of little strands of the acrid bone smoke flake up my nostrils and my eyes go dry Padre glances throats he feeked Eileen McQuinlan on lunch break and got me to smell his finger smelt like the bottle cap of a BPM energy drink or a comfy bra after wearing it three days straight pure grapefruit Not sure I'd be too happy if some lad went around getting his friends to smell his fingers after me. But that's the game here. Padraig thinks I'm some sort of Egypt because I'm a girl. Reckons I wouldn't have it in me to cut the throats. 
thinks he can shock me by making me smell his fingers. If only he knew how much I wanted to slit the throats. We work in an old hangar that used to be for small aircraft. But Mr. Bradley converted it into an abattoir. Bradley's all right. One of those ex-Brit hippies, small bit soft from acid, but old money. Now he runs an organic miniature beef farm. Royal beef, fancy beef, tiny beef. Free to roam 23 acres of alf alpha and vetch, loaded with assorted victuals to game the meat, Bradley says. They're short, black and white belted Galloways who only dine on acorns and hazelnuts for six months of the year. Their shit smells like Nutella. They get cured into beef Iberico. We've Zebu lads from Zimbabwe who were gorged on apples and corn for sausage meat. Pear-sucking Dexters with long ears like old man's balls and double-chin goiters. Holsteins and molasses and buckwheat with a type of malted weak beer for their sups, the lot. Bradley has the best organic bull meat in Ireland. I burned our hairs and Podrick slits their throats. Bradley does the butchering by his own blade. Traditional slaughtering too, not the machinated way. We kill by hand to protect the meat, make sure it's bled and hung right. Any machinery we do have is hand operated. Cast iron crank, elevating hoist, mounted on a trolley for transport to the bleeding zone, rolling hooks that clank on the wire, induction hardened pneumatic working platform for eviscerating, with a small conveyor for red and white offal, a brisket saw, hot skinning knife with galvanised edge, two hand splitting saw, hot galvanised steel, non mechanised tubular rails with detachable chassis and a ten-foot bloodbath. We're well equipped by. I wash it all down every evening when the two gone beans go off to tea. The bones of my day is on the hanging floor. It's down at the end, behind the partition. Padraig kills, I burn, Bradley cuts, in that order. When I hear the screams next door, I actually shiver, like I'm on the bottom end of a roller coaster going down. It does this thing, this vibration thing in my head that travels all down to my limbs and flutters in my tummy, like shrinking white suds in a sink of dishes. And it's the most real feeling. Say that out loud, and they'd think I'm a looper. The calves scream because they know what's happening next. Dangling upside down with the hook through their hooves. That's the scream that gives me the tingle. If Bradley or Padraig knew, they'd go apeshit. But sometimes, I frighten the bullocks before they get cut. I go to the pen and bang their cage with my house keys. Once, I flash the flame of the torch at them, enough to burn their arses. When they get excited like that, their hearts beat heavy. Then, when Padraig slits the throat, the blood gushes out with the pump, splashes out over the bleeding tray onto the floor and through the partition where I watch it rolling in burgundy by Padraig gets the raw blood pumped into his mouth and has to gawk like a baba tastes like bad kinds he says the terror leaping out of a cow's jaws to me is like a feed of Ben and Jerry's to someone else 
how it changes in tone and pitch when the blade goes into the windpipe. It's my one criticism of the ISIS boys. They gag the lads during beheadings. You need to hear how the scream changes from high to low to gargly. That's the master stroke. I saw a video last week. I watched it in the bathroom of Hook and Ladder in Limerick. Aoife's boyfriend was being difficult and I had to listen to her shite on about him choosing five-a-side over her. Anyway, I sat down in the cubicle and opened up Live Leak with the headphones on. It was this lad in a cage. Like in the zoo. Like where you'd have an, an, an aardvark or something. That sized cage. Miles out in the desert. He was Arab looking. And they had him wearing a bright orange play suit. He must have done something horrifying because the ISIS boys were having none of him. But he was wearing this suit like, like a big orange pyjamas. And at the start of the video, he was telling some story to the camera. And then they had squiggly writing on the screen and they cut to shots of green fields with loads of bombs going off in the mountains. And bodies, bodies, bodies. A montage of bodies lying on the ground, I'm telling you. When it's real bodies, they always look fake. I can't explain it proper. Then a hospital with children wearing masks. Then a beardy lad with a beard, talking to the camera. He was holding a big gun and had on a green military-looking vest. I fast-forwarded most of the shite talk to get to the end. So beard lad was roaring to the camera and then yurt. That's when it cut back to the orange play suit man in the cage. They dragged the chains, pure fucking with him. The camera looked like the films, slow motion, like Fast and the Furious. Unbelievable detail. You could make out the hairs on his nose like. They obviously had the jumpsuit doused in petrol anyway, because Beardy lit the chain, and yellow flames trailed up the lad's back and they hugged him. I swear the flames came over his back like he grew them as wings and they hugged his chest. His eyes had a queer expression. He looked more irritated than anything else but his hands seized with the agony of the fire. Couldn't bat it away. Closest thing I could compare him to is when you're sleeping and you wake up frozen and you want to move and scream but you can't because you're stiff. I think that's what a person being burnt alive must feel. After a while, the lad was charred. Then the sick cunt on the camera zoomed into his burnt black face because his tongue was sticking out and bubbling. The air and fluid in his lungs and body were boiling and escaping all bubbly out his mouth. I felt empty and helpless, like nothing is real. Then my mouth started to water when his tongue bubbled and I said to myself, Kira, you're one fucked up bitch. I knew then I'd have to head to Syria. That's the only place for me. It's not that I want to hurt anyone. I'm not angry. But the vulnerability of any creature when it knows it's going to die is fucking beautiful. That look they give you, where they're gone beyond fighting and just have this stare of handling all their power to you. It's the same look a baby gives the first set of eyes it sees when it comes out. That's how it was when my cousin Jack was born and he looked at Aunt Maeve 
It's the look the frogs gave me when I chopped them up with the sharp knives when I was nine. But by Christ, I need to see that look in an adult man. I want that powerless look behind the eyes of something that's capable of complex emotions. That's my buzz. Fuck slitting bullocks. I'm not thick either, so I'm hardly chancing that shit in Nina. I'd get caught rotten. And also, their families would miss them, and I wouldn't like to be disturbing the town like that. I'm not an asshole. But I need to get as far as Syria, and have ISIS take me in, and let me cut lads up and set them on fire. That's my vocation. I've been chatting to a fiend who's calling himself Malik on WhatsApp for three weeks. Found him through one of the Twitter accounts that uploads the videos. WhatsApp is safe because it's encrypted. But Jesus, Malik doesn't trust me at all. He thinks I'm police, who's pretending to be a girl from tip. And when he does infer that I might be legit, he asks if I have a brother who'd be interested instead. I've made it fair clear that I have no interest in religion at all. I haven't the first clue about their religion or what they believe. That's their business. I skip past all that in the videos. And they're in fucking Arabic anyway. I can't even be arsed checking Wikipedia. Reading isn't my thing at all. Malik says, That bit is grand. They don't care what my beliefs are. I reckon those ISIS lads don't believe anything either. Deep down, they're into feeling that power of killing, same as myself. They have that addiction too. Malik says, I'd have to leg it to Jordan or Turkey and snake across into Syria and that I wouldn't have a hope of making it as an unattended woman. Fucking gobshite. Freckly red-haired girl from Tip offering to join them and he trying to talk me out of it. I'll cut my hair and pretend I'm a lad if I have to. Snort a load of burning bull's hair and make my voice hoarse and deep for the trip. Be like that one Grace O'Malley, the pirate queen from junior sort history. Wear a big stupid GAA jersey and shorts with piss stains on them. Whatever. They'd get all the publicity in the world off me. Imagine me slicing throats and talking English into cameras for them. Sure, that's ideal. He's a coward. Same balls crack as Padraig with the blade. Doesn't believe I have it in me, because I'm a girl. Typical shit. I knew if I was to get what I wanted, I'd have to work harder. Waste my time putting in a load of extra effort just to prove to stupid fucking lads that I'm right for the job. So the day in question, I battled on after a long old stint in Bradley's hangar. We'd done a load of the Zimbabwe zebus, the small bulls. They're like little balls of muscle when they dangle and thrash around by the trotters. Padraig gets freaked out that the knife will go through his wrist so then Bradley has to come in and steady their legs when the puncher is made. Pair of fools. Pure thrilled with themselves when they need the two of them to do a one-man job. Then sticking their heads in over the partition, telling me to be careful with the torch. When I can blast a full hide in under two minutes, I have it down, lads, relax. So we finished up anyway, and Bradley and Parig went up to the house for jars of the homemade pressed cider 
flat shite. I stayed behind, washing down the killing floors with borax. Normally, I'd hop for the bus straight after, but that night I stayed around. I'd say I was realigning the bone saw blades if they asked. After three jars of pressed cider, the two apeshits would always get pathetic and order a taxi into town to stare at 17-year-old girls in tight tops above in Neary's lounge, arriving in with hangovers the next day and acting like they're doing a great job. After two hours, I stuck a head out the hangar and saw the lights of a taxi up the drive of the main house like clockwork. When it fucked off, I got to work. Dusk was bothering me, so I had to act fair quick. There were too many Dexter calves birthed last season, and they hadn't been inventoried properly by Bradley. He'd never know if one went missing. Lazy prick. They're worth about 800 quid in meat. The evening had nice warmth to it, and the coconut smell of new gorse flour came down off the hill on a breeze settling the tang of sour cow shit. So I rocked on over to the Dexter pen with a bucket of grain and started shaking it over the fence. They all came over. They're the ones that only get fed pears, so they were gagging for a bit of grain. I spied one of the untagged calves, ushered her over to the gate and unlatched it, had the wire noose ready and placed it around her neck but she was a calm old bint in fairness to her. The sun was low, but clear. It nearly had that desert quality. Could have been in Jordan. I had an area prepared against the gravel pile and a load of bright orange curtains that my nan threw out. I tied up the cow with a chain so that she hadn't much movement and secured her good to the inside window of an old Ford Cortina carcass that was scrapping in the dirt. I was using the camera on my iPhone 6, which was full HD. I had it on a selfie stick to get that professional feel that Isis had. Nice and steady. No shaky wrist shite distracting from the action. I was going to use my arm to steady it and pull it back and forth like a pole cue. I'd spent the last week fitting out my nan's curtains into a basic cow suit shape with a few stitches on the sewing machine. I wrapped this over the chains on the calf who was calmed by the pile of grain in front of her. She was looking great. Full orange jumpsuit. I had an old brown wig too that I got in the joke shop. Lobbed that on her head. The sun was at a slanty angle giving a nice mood to it. Then I lashed on the petrol and lit her up. I had the microphone up full to catch her screams. Bawling and howling she was. She was tied down good, trying to run from the fire, but she could only trash on the spot, rearing her front legs up like cattle don't, jocking like a mare. The flames ripped through the orange curtains and I was getting right up close with the camera to capture her eyes she was only a suckling but she still knew when she was being ended and couldn't escape 
She gave all her power into that camera lens. Perfect stuff. It had that passion. I hadn't the memory on the phone to capture the full char, but I got the best bits. Stink of Sunday roast and petrol off my hair. I covered over the black pile of bones with the gravel and disturbed the earth. Bradley wouldn't miss her and he wouldn't check either. After I washed the evening out of my hair, I sent the file to Malik on WhatsApp. Let's see the fucker turn this down. This is art. This will show him that I'm ready for Syria, as good as any lad. I watched the screen for three minutes while it uploaded. Malik was online. I waited more for him to watch the six minute video. I was sick of his shit at this stage and felt smug as fuck. What is the meaning of this? I don't know what this is. Why would you send this? Malik typed. It's me showing you I'm serious, you apeshit. I'm ready for Syria. Make arrangements, because I'm booking flights to Jordan as soon as I get offline. You get me, hun? Please don't. Please leave us alone, said Malik. There was no response. Cause the dickhead fucking blocked me. Isis fucking blocked me on WhatsApp. Is he for real? What did I do? Like, I didn't sleep a wink with the fury. If I was a lad, they wouldn't give a roaring shit. Why would he block me? I was drifting off at about half five when there was a loud kick on the downstairs door and my room lit up with blue. Malik, you fucking rat. shovel duds cool new story off my book of short stories the gospel according to blind boy please buy it in a shop please I'll talk to you pricks next week subscribe leave a review Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.